everyone, and welcome to Sequel Pitch, the podcast where four actors show why we should probably not give up our day jobs as we pitch our funniest, craziest, and most brilliant sequel ideas to movies old and new. No, don't think you've clicked the wrong episode. I am your host once again, Matt Rushton, fresh off another well-deserved win last week with my second <laughs> sequel. <laughs> And once again, joining me this episode, the three fork prongs to my trident, Ross Harmston. Hello there. I'm feeling extra forky tonight. Mm. No. Kinky. (laughs) Andy Henry. Uh, Hi. Is there something fishy going on here? (laughs) Oh, my. Andrew Toynbee. These these are our pitches, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Um, uh, Pressure. pressure. Ahoy. Mateys. <laughs> well, welcome, gents, and welcome everyone to episode ten of Sequel Ooh, Pitch. Ten, ten episodes Whoa. already. How ten. crazy is that? What were you that doing when you were ten years old, Matt? Um, what were you doing? School. Ah, oh, loser. I was what around the bike doing? shed. I was around the Matt bike shed. Already six foot five, and just like. <laughs> Already in Viking school, like (laughs) sharpen my first axe. You know how it is. Well, that digressed. I was going to ask how we're all feeling about the first ten episodes, but (laughs) what were you up to when you were ten? Actually, as an aside, quick thank you to our like international audience of listeners. We've got a, a couple of people who have downloaded in Australia. There's a few people, there's at least, there's either one person who's downloaded several episodes in Pennsylvania, or several people who have downloaded one, um, and a bunch hey, of other thank people you across very much, the guys. States, Woo. people in India, yeah. like, I think someone in Finland, so hello, thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. It's a massive thank you, everybody, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we do really appreciate it. I think it's safe to say we are having like the time of our lives. We're having such good fun yeah. recording these, and the fact that you guys keep coming back, especially that individual in Pennsylvania. If you are <laughs> one person, we adore you. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. Let's get into this week's episode and movie. In a year bursting with DC Universe hype after the release of Wonder Woman 1984, and of course... The Snyder Cut of Justice League. We sequel pitch Jason Momoa the movie, (laughs) a.k.a. Aquaman. (laughs) For anyone who hasn't seen Aquaman yet, I really recommend you go and hit that pause button. Go watch it yourselves, then pick up right where you left off. There is way too much to try and cover in a summarised 60 seconds. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to try and summarise it for you in my officially unofficial 60 second summary Starting now. Tom, some lighthouse guy, sees Atlanta, the queen of Atlantis, breached on some rocks. They fall in love and she has a baby, Arthur. The movie is basically Jason Momoa stroke Arthur becoming king of Atlantis. He fights his vengeful half-brother King Gorm from time to time, visits a load of beautiful locations, discovers a lot about Atlantis through exposition, and goes on a goose hunt to find the OG King Atlan Super Trident. He lets some pirate dude's dad die, then that guy swears revenge and becomes Black Manta. Manta still gets his ass kicked by Aquaman later on though, and he's tossed out to sea. Arthur and Princess Mira search for the Trident. King Orm wants to wage war with the humans who are destroying the oceans. To do this, he needs support of other ocean-dwelling races, though, well, whether that's through loyalty or submission. 
Just as full-scale wars about to erupt on the ocean floor between Orm and the crab people, Aquaman appears with his new sexy super trident and he stops the war single-handedly. He defeats his half-brother in combat and reveals that his mother's actually, who, who everyone presumed dead, is still alive and they kind of have a happy family reunion. And just like that, he's king and everyone forgives him for the mass slaughter he's just committed on his nutcracker as he's wiped out Atlantis and crab people everywhere. Also, Aquaman and Mira have a snog in the middle of the war because, you know, it's a superhero film. Also, also, Black Manta's found floating in the ocean by Dr. Shin, who's obsessed with Anchorman. <sighs> Anchorman? Anchorman. <laughs> there you go. Cross, wow. cross nice. uh, universe references there. <laughs> yeah. Nice work. Yeah. A little bit sort of jumbled. A little bit out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, out that, that isn't linear. This was just a... This was just a summary of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to do linear and it was four pages long and I got bollocked on WhatsApp. So <laughs> this is your abridged version. <laughs> so there you go. Two and a half hours condensed into a few seconds. Um, what do we think, chaps? Andy, I'll come to you, eh? So I watched this movie twice. I fell asleep halfway through the first time. Um, and then I watched it again two days ago and I honestly can't remember much of it. I was really relying on your synopsis map to kind of go oh yeah this jogs the memory and oh that wasn't too bad but I don't, yeah it just kind of passed by it's it's fine it's 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 quite pretty i remember a lot of scenes obviously a lot of it's cgi and i mean talking about that the hair oh that that like there's, there's a lot of the hair just wasn't the, ready the to properly water hair effects oh god very good very well done i'm trying to think what i remember the, oct- the octopus because i remember ross really hating that um <laughs> The fight scenes were pretty good. I remember like some of the some of the choreography and the actual like uh, like direction of the fight scenes. They were good because sometimes the camera moves too often. But a lot like a lot of the times, what from what I remember, um, it's mainly kind of in one place or it follows the actual like action rather than just. Um, I remember in Total Recall, I think it was when the first uh, action scene happened with Colin Farrell shooting, and we had that like Nightcrawler camera guy like just springing off all the walls. Uh, there was none of that yeah. here. It's safe to say that it didn't live long in Andy's memory. I do agree, some of the combat scenes, um, we were talking on WhatsApp, Sicily, there's a scene set in a town in Sicily uh, that gets pretty action-heavy, and I thought that was amazing. That For was me, good. It really woke me up again. Mm. Um, totally not Sicily. running though, and yeah. water <laughs> pistols shooting, and what was that, mm. Russ? It was totally not Sicily as well. Like that didn't look anything like an Italian <laughs> village. The I only think it was the only re- in Australia. That's yeah. It. The only the only way they made it Italian was someone going come on, Sicilia, come on, Sicilia. Like just having some <laughs> random Italian people in the background saying, it. and then Jason Momoa going andiamo. <laughs> and what is weird, right? So I the movie was okay. Like I I've forgotten it because it's just a, a movie it's just a movie there's it's just jason momoa feels like he just got out of the trailer of the uh you know he's wearing his normal sh- shirts and he's wearing all his rings <laughs> and his things and he just comes on set and he goes right so what do you want me to do okay i just look over my shoulder okay i'll do some quippy lines and then just go home and i was just like okay and yeah, a lot like for a film called Aquaman, he spends little time in the fucking ocean as well. <laughs> like I would have like liked to have seen more of him in the ocean. That would have been nice. Um, and they do so much like 
exposition like dialogue in like yeah like the random meeting at the beginning when they're like meeting for the first time and he's like we need your armies and you need to bring the seven kings and then he randomly starts talking about the seven kings it's like yeah I already fucking know that why are you telling me this well yeah Uh, and the thing of like you would have to unite the seven kingdoms to have the greatest (laughs) army but now there are only actually four of them because three of them fell to darkness so you must unite the four to be the most (laughs) powerful man the ocean master it's a terrible terrible example of exposition dialogue you're entirely (laughs) right ross like everyone in that scene basically stands there and goes i know the law (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, we didn't but there would have been so many better ways to do that also the fisher the fisherman person the fisher fish guys the fish guys have three people in their throne room and then he kills the fish king and then they just go all right yeah well daughter <laughs> now you have to work with me okay all right yeah i'll take my entire pe- what what the fuck what pacifist makes no sense and, and then the and then f- to top it all off crab people Crab people, crab people, <laughs> crab people. Awesome. look like crabs, sound like Gimli from. It's actually yeah, I it, looked it, it up. Was it's Gimli. John. Yeah, it, it's Gimli who plays that big guy. Uh, it's like this is madness. This film is mad. It's like a weird version of Little Mermaid, especially that scene in. I was expecting um, Thingy, the mirror girl, uh, to like start singing in Sicily, going, like, I was like, this is. And then the octopus drumming. What was that? Well, who else is going to play eight drums? (laughs) So for me, I mean, all all those things aside, it was, it just, it went from different styles. It was like, well, I'm going to, we're going to be kooky Mm. and madness with like the crab people and the octopus. And then it was like, but also we're going to be super broody as well. Uh, but not as broody as the Snyder Cut version. No. But like <laughs> sort of broody, but not not too much because no, they don't want to brood. You don't want to brood that much. So yeah, that's my rant gone. So yeah, you can you talk go. about it now. No. <laughs> Drew, what have you got to add to that? It feels tonally confused and it has some properly clunky dialogue. But it is a hell of a lot of fun. It is a mad film. It's mad. You you get underwater and then it's like Pandora from Avatar in at night when everything's lit up day glow. Well, it's just the fact that you get under you've seen Arthur above above and he's talking to his dad and they get drunk in a bar and the the big hairy biker men come over and look like they're going to be really threatening then he takes out a pink phone and wants a selfie and then Jason Momoa looks grumpy in the first photo but then through the photos he's getting more drunk and then there he's on their shoulders and everyone's having a great time and then the camera goes underwater and it's like oh what's going to happen under here holy fuck it's 20 men riding sharks being <laughs> met by another 20 men riding giant yeah. day glow seahorses that whinny like seahorses that go (laughs) and immediately my brain just went what the fuck is this but i kind i i respected that the film just went no you know what i i am just gonna i'm just gonna throw some day glow paint at the wall and see what sticks (laughs) and i respected it for that i liked i tell you the fish out of water moment where mira is handed some flowers by a kindly Italian 
man, a kindly Australian playing an Italian man. <laughs> and then Great. she's holding these red flowers and looks around and coincidentally sees people eating red items of food and so then eats one of the roses <laughs> and then gives and then Arthur sees that and eats one so she doesn't feel left out. And I thought that was genuinely funny and charming. But it, it feels ultimately it feels like a Marvel movie, not a DC movie. Or not yeah. a DC movie as set up thus far in this continuity. And I get that that's kind of what they're going for and that's their business choice. But it 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 feels so tonally different. And again, having all now at- attempted <clears throat> to get through the Snyder Cut, it, the Snyder Cut, whilst being dark and more violent and bloody and various other things has moments of humour and levity and I think that Mira could have absolutely eaten a flower in a darker, grittier version. But like when Black Manta is gifted Atlantean technology to help destroy Aquaman by King Orm and he gets this giant gun that can blow up a huge rock formation 200 metres away and he's holding this big gun that's shaped like a gun that humans have used (laughs) for like 140 years because guns are really efficient and do what you want to do and he goes you know what i need to do with this gun i need to put it on my head and then he builds it into a helmet and yes it's so that he looks like the comic book character but it's so mad it's just so bonkers um and so yeah ultimately i the effects are really good having julie andrews dame julie andrews voicing a giant ancient mythical kraken Mm, is mental and it's kind of great um effects are good it's entertaining and yeah that's about (laughs) it fair it's mad before we descend any more into chaos i think we'll (laughs) move swiftly on and get some scores in you're right it's batchy it's all over the place, tonally doesn't know what it is, but it's a movie and it's Jason Momoa doing what Jason Momoa does. So in some ways it scores well. But on that, how are we scoring it, gents? Shall we get your scores in? Andy? Two and a half tips of a trident. Yeah, from what I remember, it was all right. If you if it's on TV and you haven't watched it, yeah, it's not a bad movie. You're not going to be like, oh, I hate this. But you probably just won't remember it in a couple of days' time. Cool. Thank you very much. Drew, what are we scoring it? 3.5 masticated rose heads for me. <laughs> Perfect. Ross? I'm going to give it 2.75 Willem Dafoe young CGI faces <laughs> out of five. And I'm going to go... I'm going to go with three attempts to build Black Manta's, Manta's head to fire properly out of five. <laughs> So there we go. Total score coming in at 2.9375. Shall we um <laughs> shall we format the Excel spreadsheet so that it rounds it to the two decimals? That might yeah. be nice. Cool, yeah, I'll do that. There you go. As of episode 11, stepping up with some new technology for you, listeners. <laughs> cool. Well, there we go. Not bad. Does it mm, it doesn't really, does it? Make a <laughs> recommendation. Uh, no, no ju- just, just below under. a recommendation. Again, wow. above above half marks, but below a recommendation. I should have probably given it a little bit more for Jason Momoa's abs, but oh well. And his just Too sheer inhuman charisma. 
Like, he is so gorgeous. He's he's beautiful, and I I I I think I I feel like I'd be hard pressed to find anyone in the world who wouldn't want to be his friend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those photos, the photos of their piss up. They, that, I'm sure that's just Jason Momoa and some lads at the bar getting <laughs> yeah. drunk and yeah. they make a movie scene out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, enough about Jason Moa the movie. Well, Jason Moa the movie. <laughs> Jason Moa the movie. Hello, I, I'm Jason Moa. Um, <laughs> Drew, I'm so sorry when you listen back to this. That's uh, uh, fine. I'm, I'm used to it. Well, there you have oh, it. You... Jason Momoa, the movie. <laughs> We're keeping all this in, by the way. We're keeping all this in. This is gold. <laughs> this is all gold. <laughs> You've choked on, Drew man. to oh. death. <laughs> Drew's choking to death. Uh, right. Take so... my inhaler now. <laughs> right, come on. Again. Let's do, let's do it again. Take. Come on. So there you have it. Jason Momoa. <laughs> no, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Right, so there you have it. Aquaman has been scored. And now you know what time it is. It's time to get your sequels pitched. Drew Squirrit, you were just choking in on your inhaler. You can go first. Title of your sequel pitch, please. Mine is called Aquaman King's Fall. Excellent. Take it away. King's Fall. Um, so the movie opens and you see a completely calm, flat ocean and there's a sailing boat with a family on it. They're stranded because the boat's been damaged in a storm, all their electronics down, the desalinator to make drinking water from seawalkers down. They're getting really desperate. There's no wind to get them out there. They're sitting, watching the sails, waiting for the wind to pick up, but nothing happens until suddenly the boat starts to move, but there's no wind. They can't see what's pushing them, but get occasional glimpses of what they think could be the shape of a person and um, below the waterline we see several atlanteans staying hidden from view pushing them back towards the shore and safety we then see a montage of atlanteans led by arthur saving ships in peril all over the world and sequences with like giant tankers rolling around in bad seas and being rolled over back to upright and sharks being steered away from just about to attack surfers and stuff like that but they're keeping it all secret they're trying to stay hidden over the montage, we hear Arthur discussing with Volko and Mira and Orm and his mother and to large councils of Atlanteans. Arthur wants them to help more and to reveal their existence officially to the humans, but the Atlanteans won't accept it. They don't want to. Orm, having been forgiven for what happened at the end of the last movie, but in a reduced station and he's working hard to prove his loyalty to his brother, asks why the Amazon or the Kryptonian can't help people and leave them in peace. But Arthur tells him that Clark is off-world, trying to find out more about Steppenwolf's, or Steppenwolf's origins, and Diana and the others can only do so much. Arthur goes to see his parents and sort of talks to them about it. They all end up getting really drunk and having an awesome time, um, and they part, telling him that he'll be able to work it out given time it's all that he needs to work it out. However, after Arthur's gone, Black Manta arrives at the lighthouse and after fighting Atlana, brings down the lighthouse on top of Thomas, killing him and leaving Atlana severely injured. Black Manta uses his lasers to carve a message into the cliff in front of the wreckage saying, now we're even, after Aquaman left his father to drown. 
Arthur's distraught and he's full of fury and sadness and he uses his power as king to order all Atlanteans to the surface to hunt down Black Manta. Suddenly everything that was a rumour is now very real and there are superpowered beings from beneath the sea with crazy technology barricading shorelines across the world creating a giant international incident as he's searching for Black Manta. Um, and he's sort of demanding that world leaders help him look because he fought Steppenwolf for them. Um, he's getting more and more aggressive. He's hunting down pirates and criminals on the seas in sort of more crazy, like vicious ways. And you have some mental sequences with that. You have the Flash, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, Batman, all trying to talk him down, perhaps contacting him separately. But I think it would be cleaner if it was just one of them that came to see him or speak to him over the comm link that they all carry in their Justice League goodie bag. He says the only way he'll change his course is when he finds Black Manta, and they say they've been trying to find him, but they can't find any trace of him since the lighthouse attack. And he even sort of wrecks his relationship with his half-brother, um, because once again at Queen Atlanta, his mother has been harmed because of the surface world, and he's convinced that Arthur's a fool for trying to have them coexist. And Arthur basically falls out with Orm, Volko, and Mira. It's revealed that they can't find Black Manta because he is now taking Dr. Shin to find Atlantis after having Dr. Shin help him find Aquaman's father using data and analysis of all the known sightings of Aquaman. Black Manta's taking his payment of having Shin help him find Atlantis. Um, they find the city mostly deserted because everyone's been taken up to the surface and there are some just some token guards guarding the remaining young in the city. Dr. Shin is like amazed and happy. He's really excited. He's gushing that his career is going to be restored and he's taking pictures and things, but then realises to his dismay that Black Manta intends to destroy the city. He's built their vessel using Atlantean technology to be an energised plasma bomb like the rays that come out of his suit's eyes. Shin tries to stop him from setting it and Manta kills him. Manta then broadcasts a message to the Atlanteans using their technology and tells them where to find him, luring them back into the trap. So Arthur leads this giant force back down. Manta's overridden all of their automated defences. There are automatons and turrets shooting everyone approaches. They're all fighting to get through. Um, big battle with all the defensive robots and stuff. He's, he's commanding more and more Atlanteans and sea creatures to fight their way through as more and more get killed as they try. In the end... Orm, Mira and Volko all fail to get through to Arthur in his rage, um, but his mother manages it and shows him that his father would be ashamed of what he's become and sacrificing so many people for vengeance. Um, they then, through a little bit more investigation, realise it's a trap. Everyone switches their efforts to getting all of the people in the city out. Arthur hands the King Atlan's trident, uh, trident to his mother and says, I lost yours, I think you should carry this, I'll make amends for it, and hands over rulership of the Atlanteans to his mother and goes to fight Black Manta. He fights him long enough to stop him detonating the bomb um, so as many survivors get away as possible but it finally explodes and destroys the city of Atlantis. Arthur of course survives but barely and um, when he comes round the remaining Atlanteans um, are going to start a new life in the sea in the earth's core where his mother hid for 20 years and they're sort of saying if Arthur's anything like the people of the surface, they're not ready to coexist yet. Arthur makes peace with this and says that he's going to stay behind as protector of the oceans and to try and make up for what he's done, and he will try to earn his place with the Atlanteans once again. The end. Amazing. Thank you very much. Cool. So, I mean, it's very much a follow-on film, very clearly follow-on film from the first. Mm -hmm. 
I'm intrigued about a couple of things with it. You talk about at the beginning he wants them to reveal themselves. Kind of what's what's your thinking for his thinking behind wanting to do that, considering the actions of the first with things like the beach scene and obviously humans are aware that something's happening in the ocean. Well, exactly. I watching the first movie, they're talking about you see um, Randall Parker's Dr. Shin saying, we've seen wreckage, but there's still people on the news with him being like, nah, you're an idiot. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, so they're not, even though Earth knows that Aquaman is a thing, they're they're just assuming he's just a metahuman, not an, a representative of an entire other race. As far as Arthur's motivation, he is from the two worlds and he's seen his mother and father be able to coexist happily and have a wonderful relationship. And so it's kind of, I, I feel uh, it, it's got the vibe from Black Panther with Wakanda in that he has this nation that he cares about, that has technology that could benefit the world. Um, and he want, he has faith in humanity and Atlanteans that they could come together and do something better and help each other but actually he demonstrates that he himself isn't ready to be the person to lead that yet by the end of the movie cool i think it feeds very nicely into my question um it seems to be that there's there's a journey for arthur and almost like not a message behind it but there's he goes on a journey and i feel like it's kind of got a start point and an end point and I'm wondering what your thought process is it's kind of like to me it feels like he's inversing what he went through in the first film to try and become something greater it feels like he's going right back to step one at the beginning then well at the end uh, of this movie for me, the way that I saw it is his journey up to through through the actual real films that exist before my sequel it's all about him taking responsibility accepting the mantle of of being descended from the kings of atlantis and this is about him as we discussed on whatsapp like he's not meant to be like 25 he's meant to be in his early 30s his his father rescues his mother in 1985 and so he's somewhere between late 20s and early 30s um, when this happens and he's taken on the responsibility but as far as i can see it it it, it goes to his head the uh, as far as wanting an interesting journey for him to go on he believes his own hype and he comes to be like right no i am like i've been chosen by king atlan i'm the only person worthy of wielding this trident and so i know what's best and i've listened to all of you saying that we shouldn't do it but actually i'm in charge and we're going to go and get black manta and we're going to do this and he ends up like ruining it it's got i not wanting to be too not pretentious not wanting to blow my own trumpet about it too much i kind of see this as the as the empire strikes back of his journey in that it's ending his second film and he's at rock bottom he's alone he doesn't have his trident and so the third movie would be about actually growing into being a king who's responsible and does what's best for everyone else so it's a trick cool pitch not entirely i think it could end here like i was also thinking about like future justice league movies because again it's the problem i made sure superman was off the planet so that superman couldn't just show up and fix everything immediately uh, like he always can and likewise 
I wanted to get rid of the Atlanteans. I wanted to get rid of this huge technological resource that could literally change how the world functions and make everything better because utopias don't make good films. As far as I was concerned, Atlantis had to go away at the end of the movie. Otherwise, it it ruins any subsequent film. So I'm, I'm not saying it's a trilogy pitch. I'm I'm pitching this in the reality of this being an ongoing series of superhero movies good note my my last question is purely thinking about arthur and you know he goes full rage monster essentially uh when his dad dies so king Orma's kind of rage monster in the first film but obviously a bit more controlled about his rage and he kind of uses his rage through his words and whatnot and his plans how do you differentiate between arthur and King Orman the first when they're kind of on a parallel journey and King Orman's meant to be an antagonist and Arthur's meant to be the protagonist of the movie. I mean, yeah, it's kind of... Black Manta is definitely the antagonist in this. Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that Arthur's Arthur's a baddie, but he is uncontrolled. It, it's... Orm has been planning this for a long time. He's wanted revenge for at least 20 years since his mother was executed and he blamed that on the surface world for her falling in love with the surface world rather than on Atlanteans for fucking executing her. Um, but, you know, that's what the character did and that's fine. So, yeah, it, his is calm and controlled where Jason Momoa's is all about the fact that he doesn't have self-control. It is, he's not thinking straight. It overwhelms him entirely. That's how I would differentiate it. But I did feel like the parallel of him and his brother having that similarity that they are both able to be triggered in that way to be be just a little bit genocidal just a little bit fascist just a tiny bit fashy i thought that was interesting to given that they are physically with the actors representing them so different having things that actually tied them together i thought could be quite interesting as well okay and then stop you there right next up andy what's your sequel pitch title please my pitch is called Aquaman, The Death of a King. The Death of a King. Death Take it king. away. Okay. So we open on Aquaman fighting a big beastie. It's a big, exciting start. He doesn't kill the beast. After fighting it to calm it down, Aquaman talks to the beast and tells it to leave. Back in the kingdom, Arthur is talking to Mira, who was concerned that she hasn't seen or spoken to her father in a while. We see their relationship is getting stronger. They take a swim, and Arthur says he loves Mira, and he doesn't mind screaming it to the world. And he shouts, I love Mira, so loud we see a massive echo bubble travel all the way out of Atlantis. Vocal comes in and says, it's time to train, Arthur. But Arthur says, ah, I'm the king, and the king doesn't need to train. But Vocal says, a king must always be prepared, therefore must always be training. We have a scene where Voko and Aquaman spar, and even though Aquaman is the stronger of the two, his arrogance since the first film is causing him to make sloppy mistakes. Voko pins him, pins the king, much to the king's surprise. Volko talks to Arthur about what it takes to be a king, and he starts telling Arthur stories about past kings, including the first king of Atlantis. The first king of Atlantis created six powerful, mythical items, including Aquaman's indestructible trident. These are sacred items and must be treated with respect. Arthur nods, knowing his attitude must uh, change. 
Just then, we see the echo bubble keep travelling around the world until we end up in Antarctica. We're in a shelter with scientists. They start a machine at the exact time the echo bubble hits the walls of the ice slab they're working on, causing it to shake. The the scientists joke, (laughs) was that us? As the bubble hits the wall, we see a monster that looks like it's trapped in the ice. As the monster awakens, it peels peels itself out of the ice, and we see it's ice blue in colour, and it looks like an old Greek god with a giant ice beard, and it's wearing old golden armour. As the scientists finish laughing at the hilarious joke, the monster jumps up and destroys the shelter and savagely dis- uh, kills all the scientists. We have a scene where Arthur is going through uh, Atlantis, uh, showing everyone loves him, respects him, and his ancestry. An injured guardsman comes back from patrol and says they were attacked by a monster. Arthur tells Volko to get the guard help, and Arthur and Mira go to check it out. When Arthur and Mira get there, they look around for clues, but are rushed by the monster who fights them both. The monster is very strong, but they manage to, to destroy a rock, and it falls and pins the monster. They, the pair look at the monster, and Mira says the armour reminds her of... No, no, it couldn't be. They leave, believing the monster is dead. The next day, Mira is attacked by goon guard-looking monsters. One goon guard conjures a vortex, and as Arthur enters, he sees Mira being p- pulled into it. As Arthur tries to pull Mira back out of the vortex, he can't and she flies away. He explains to Volko, who tells Arthur about a place called Exabel, a pocket dimension hidden in the Bermuda Triangle and, uh, and used as an ancient Atlantean prison by the first king of Atlantis. Volko tells Arthur it's a suicide mission to get Mira back, but he goes anyway. Uh, on the way, depending on pacing and time, we can have a couple of extra scenes. Um, Aquaman can fight another big beastie. We can meet other people from the Aqu- uh, Aquaman universe. Um, he has trouble, obviously, getting to Ex- uh, Exabel, uh, but then he, he has to sneak in and find Mira. When he finds Mira, the monster who's hiding tells Arthur a story about the past, about his past. The monster's ancestors were a proud race of Atlanteans, strong and true, and the real rulers of Atlantis. But Aquaman's ancestors murdered the monster's family and stole the throne. He is the dead king, and he has come back for what is rightfully his. They fight, and we see the dead king is as strong as Aquaman, and possibly a better fighter. There's a point where Aquaman loses his trident, and the, uh, and the prison that's holding Mira is crumbling above a fire pit. He must choose whether to save the trident or Mira. Aquaman chooses to save Mira, and, he's, and as he does, the dead king picks up the trident and leaves, leaving Aquaman and Mira to fight the Exabel guards and escape. On the way back to Atlantis, Mira is angry that Arthur chose her and not the trident, saying protecting the kingdom is, the more, is uh, more important than anything. As they return, they see the Dead King is destroying Atlantis as revenge for the betrayal of his family. They go, um, they go and visit Volko, who see the Dead King is telling the. Tr- uh, uh. They go visit Volko to see if the Dead King was telling the truth, and Volko says, "Yes, your ancestors murdered their way to the throne. They killed everyone except for the Dead King, who fled. Legend has it he's in a state of cryosleep somewhere in Antarctica." Arthur feels bad, but Volko says the rule under Arthur's ancestors was great and nothing to be ashamed of. Arthur still feels wrong and says he shouldn't be king. Uh, but he must stop the Dead King before, it, uh, before the Dead King destroys all of Atlantis, as protecting the kingdom is more important than anything. We end on a big fight scene with Aquaman, Mira, the Atlantis, uh, Atlantis army, and the Dead King, who also controls ice, but he's also got the trident, so he controls the fish. At the end of the fight, Aquaman overpowers the Dead King, and he takes his trident back. He has the chance to kill the Dead King, but he doesn't. Instead, he offers, offers him a truce. He says he may not be the true king of Atlantis, but the Dead King cannot be left to rule alone. He offers to share the throne with the Dead King, but the Dead King rejects Aquaman's offer, saying his ancestors would never forgive him if he took it, and he fires one giant ice dagger at Mira, which causes Aquaman to dive in front of it. The Dead, the dead King flees into the shadows, saying, You haven't seen the last of me, fake king. 
We end with Arthur and Volko training. Arthur says he's not happy about the history of his ancestors and thinks they may not be as good as he was led to believe. He says he wants to learn more about his past and help anyone who his family may have wronged. Mira enters and says she has an idea about where her father could be. He was brought to the Earth's core for some reason. She's heard rumours of sirens being heard. Siren is another name of an Aquaman villain. Aquaman, uh, Aquaman and Mira leave. Good work. Cool, okay. Um... Uh, okay, first and foremost, I feel like I've heard some of these stories before elsewhere, uh, perhaps in other franchises. Have you taken inspiration from anywhere with these? With this I have movie? taken inspiration from the Death of the King uh, series of Aquaman comics. So the Dead King's history is true. Him taking Mira to Exabel is true. It's true. It's it's real. It's real, yeah. The Dead King's real. Oh, God, man. <laughs> Wait till you see a picture. He's scary as. Okay, I was more than I, I kind of feel like there's. Uh, it, it felt to me like there was inspiration from other franchises, but absolutely, I'm glad you've done research. It's good to know that you've done some research on a comic strip that I don't know anything about the Aquaman series of comics, so I'm not going to dive into anything too much there. One thing I will pick up on if you've talked about these six items, these six mythical items sound amazing we know mm. about one yeah there's five out there and after you kind of reference it in that dialogue i was waiting to kind of see where else they turn up or how else they're referenced can you elaborate a bit more on the kind of purpose that they serve i wanted them more as easter eggs i guess uh without trying to i guess well intentionally uh, making them a bit like the infinity stones from marvel 20 movies okay Good to know this is a 20 movie sequel pitch. <laughs> but I, I, I just sort of thought, like, if it's, if it's six, like, big things, it could it could easily come up in Aqu- Aquaman 3, um, or it could be something for the Justice League. So I wanted them to be mentioned, sow the seeds, but that's it. Okay. The first movie tackles a lot about the relationship between the humans, the surface dwellers, and Atlantis, and the ocean dwellers. There is little to no human interaction in this movie. Is that an intentional choice? Yes. We've, okay. we've been on the land. We're on land a little bit. The scientist bit, I think, is actually maybe the only bit on land. Uh, but no, intentionally, we want, I wanted to be in the water, basically, the whole, the whole movie as Aquaman. Um, as Drew said, like, the first movie, loads of it was, out, was, was on land. And that, I think that was necessary for the first film because, obviously, his dad, like, lived on land and stuff like that. But no, no, no. As much okay. in the water as possible. On that note, then... Um... I feel like the first movie gives a couple of really strong uh, sequel hooks, which you have decided not to bite or even reference. No. What's your feeling about not going with something because like I was, the I Black was... Manta and Doctor Shin storyline? I like the idea. Like I hate when I hate, especially when Marvel kind of like kill off the the villains. I I I, I never really read comics. I wish I did. But I like the idea that they get away and they're just they're a threat somewhere and they can be referenced and they're just in the background. Um, but as I was looking for something to base this on, I was when I was doing research, basically, um, all these great villains came up. Like Siren um, is another one, which is like on some lists either just before or just after uh, the Dead King of Aquaman, Aquaman's greatest villains. He's got such a good arsenal that um, let's, let's use more. Like they they they're in the background. They're definitely not like out of the out of canon, out of the universe. Okay. Great stuff. Ryan, Ross, sat very patiently. It's your turn. Okay, my uh, title of my movie is Aquaman 2. 
The film opens, we see the word somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. The camera focuses on a small boat driving at high speed. We then see the boat is filmed, uh, filled with armed men, all with various cool-looking masks on. They are cocking guns and getting ready for something. One of them is looking at a phone and a news story of Aquaman. Uh, we then see our antagonist of the uh, movie. It's Sebastian Stan. He says, turn that off. We then see him talk to a woman on the boat. It's Jennifer Lawrence, his girlfriend, and established that he's going to get married to her after this last job. They go over the plan and we establish that he goes by the name Charybdis and that these guys are called the Tyrants of the Sea. Um, that's right, they're the baddies. Um, they approach a huge tanker, climb aboard, capture everyone and hold them at gunpoint. They locate a specific container with the name Wayne Tech Industries on the side. Um, they blow it open and see advanced weaponry and some tech stuff. It doesn't really matter what. Uh, they intend to sell on the black market. Sebastian Stan says, jackpot. Uh, then Aquaman arrives. Yay, 15-minute fight scene. There is a moment <laughs> that we focus on in particular where Charybdis catches Aquaman's hand and instantly jolts, almost like something has been transferred. Um, he pushes him off, and in the ensuing fight, Jennifer Lawrence gets blown up in an explosion. Charybdis sees his wife die, but gets blown off the ship. Cut to the title scene. Um, we see Aquaman around Atlantis dealing with problems that a king has to uh, deal with. We see a man asking him to deal with the fish outside his house as they keep pooing in his garden. Cue a funny look of Jason Momoa. He tries to fix it and talk to the fish but uh it's weird he can't <laughs> wait was that look to camera was that jason look to camera or not if it is maybe yeah yeah right. yeah um <laughs> uh he tries to talk to the fish but he can't talk to the fish anymore weird what's happened he can't work out why he can't communicate with the fish cut to the hospital bed Charybdis is still alive. He sees the hospital TV that Aquaman saved the people on the tanker and that learns that Jennifer Lawrence is dead. No! As he shouts. The fish in the tank nearby all look at him. He doesn't notice. He is visited by Dr. Stephen Shin says, gives him, and gives him a card and says there are others that have, lost, have felt lost too. Cut to three months later, we see Aquaman defeating some illegal fishermen, um, but it's much harder than it was before. He swims back to Atlanta, Atlantia, Atlantis, Atlantis. He swims, not, not Atlanta. He doesn't swim to Atlanta. <laughs> uh, he swims back to Atlantis um, and struggles to understand the loss of some of his powers. He talks to Mira and his mum, and also has a touching scene with his brother, who's in prison with a view. Uh, cut to Charybdis going to see. Uh, Dr. Stephen Shin and we learn through testing and exposition that Sebastian Stan has a meta-human ability to steal other people's powers and that he probably never noticed because he never came in contact with people of special abilities he's introduced to um, Black Mantis and we get a super-villain team up yay! they explain that they, uh, they explain if they want to kill him they'll just make him a man and then they kick and kill him easier than when he's just a man. So um, they learn through Sebastian Stans and Black Mantis's contacts where Aquaman's dad lives. So they go. Uh, we then see Aquaman's dad eating at a fish restaurant with Nicole Kidman. The two supervillains manage to find them, fight, 
but Charybdis manages to steal her Atlantean powers, and they overpower them both. Um, Aquaman comes back to visit his mum and dad in the house, but find they're not there, asks a neighbour. They say, oh, they went for dinner at the fish restaurant. So he goes... Um, there's a showdown. His mum and dad are being held captive. There's a 30-minute fight scene. Yay, another fight scene. Um, it's all around the village that they live in. Because it looks like a village in the um, in the film. In and out of the water, Black Manta gets knocked out. And only Charybdis is left. They manage to end up back at the fist restaurant, hanging over a piranha tank. Oh, Jesus. He plunges Aquaman's hand into the tank, and he commands them to eat Aquaman's hand. They do. They eat Aquaman's hand. Oh, Jesus. It looks bad for Aquaman, but he is saved by Mira, who shoots Charybdis, knocking him over into the tank, unconscious. The piranhas feast on him. The tank goes blood red. Black Mantis is sent to Arkham Asylum because, you know, reasons and DC. A few days later, Aquaman wakes up after having a nightmare of him dying by Darkseid's hand. Foreshadowing. Ooh. Uh, he's, in he's in a hospital bed in Atlantis, I guess. I guess they have hospital beds where they just, like, sort of lay floating maybe i don't know uh he's given um he's given a fishing hook hand thing that was made for him by mira and we end the movie there but there's a post-credit scene we see the tank in which charybdis died a fish man emerges from it with huge piranha type teeth piranha man is born <laughs> brilliant stuff thank you very much russ um you're Again, welcome. enjoying the wider DC ramifications and perhaps plot anchors there. Um, let's kick it off. Charybdis is a very specific name. Do you want to elaborate it, on that name? I will indeed. I looked up uh, some of the lesser known Aquaman baddies um, because I didn't want to pick one that already had like a huge presence in Aquaman because I, then I could elaborate. And Charybdis is in... Um, in, and all of it's true of how um, I really wanted to put in that Aquaman loses his hand. And that's the person he's Charybdis is famous for making Aquaman lose his hand via piranhas, which is cool. He's called that because I, I, for reasons he's named after a sea monster, the Greek sea monster. And he has a wife and he gets killed and blames Aquaman. And then, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's why I put him in because um, I think I was allowed it allows you to sort of pad it out as well, not just like go copy the same like story per se. And you can like elaborate a little bit more and make it a little bit more your own. So that's why I put him in. Interesting. Uh, random Greek history myth fact. Charybdis in the Scylla is the yeah. story. That he's, I think yeah. he's fed off. Anyway, um, I feel it's a little bit fortunate that he has this ability to absorb powers and despite the fact he's a major criminal, has never come across a, a, a person with power before, a meta-human before. Um, do you think that you can sell that story? Yeah, I think so. I think, like, he's not like... He's not an internet... He's not like a world famous... He's, he's a mercenary for hire. He's a mercenary for hire that uses guns like he's not going to be getting i think in my story and in my version aquaman's only just come out of like 
out to the whole world and similar to all the other superheroes like man of steel like the man of steel has only just recently come down so the 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 idea that charybdis would meet these people yeah he may like there's not that many meta humans in this uh in the places where he's gone i would say so i don't think he would ever meet anyone with those special abilities uh the pitch does feel a little bit light on character development until right at the very end um are there are there any specific character journeys that people go on? So, I, my main one is Aquaman, and um, he is like obviously I did it with a little comedy scene, but like he's adjusting to being a king and being the and you can have scenes um, in that and flesh it out as him visiting all the different kingdoms and visiting like. Uh, uh, having the ramifications of what happened in the last film and being a king of the Atlantis and having to deal with all these problems and him not really being able to do as much as he could before um, and see his mum and dad and stuff like that. So that's why they're not in it that much because him being a king of Atlantis is like huge. Like he's got to do so much. Um, so his main thing is that. And then his 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 journey of him having the powers being taken away or some of the powers being taken away and then i've left it with lots of room for the next film for him having been horribly maimed by this like villain and having a hook on his hand which he does in the comics um and um like having to deal with that and also having and then maybe on i may say like there'll be a journey of him going he, it's not about having the power inside you you have it in you all along or whatever some stupid story so but yeah such a superhero yeah. idea cool it's the it's the yeah it's the once your abilities are taken away what does that make you basically sort of very interesting um thank you very much gents some very superhero inspired sequel pitches from all of you uh i need a little bit of time to think but in the meantime, I'm going to hand the floor over to you to my favourite part of the podcast, the bit where I tell you to take your gloves off, put our friendships aside, give each other shit, and tell me why your movie is the best and why theirs perhaps is not. The floor is yours, gentlemen. Mine is worth picking because I have a superhero film with a super villain, uh, and I use the... I use the old comic uh, stories. Okay, all right. You want to get into your villain? Let's get yeah, into sorry, your villain. Yeah, sorry, who's your villain? Okay, yeah. Your villain... Charybdis. Who, yeah, Charybdis. And where does he come okay, on so, the villain so, scale? He absorbs superhuman powers. He commands yeah. Aquaman. Uh, he commands the piranhas to eat Aquaman's hands. He goes in with the piranhas and they eat him. Yeah. He absorbs powers from metahumans. So are these piranhas, or is one of these piranhas a metahuman piranha for him to absorb their powers and become piranha Please man? Please say yes. Please say yes. I have great. no idea, mate. Oh, it's well, a superhero movie. How, how does he get these powers? There's no, we have no reference to how, it, like anything backstory related as well about his character. Yeah, because you don't get any backstory. You get a five minute backstory about Black Manta as I'm well. Not say, like, I'm you not just... saying it needs backstory. I'm saying that he would have had to absorb the superpowers of a superpowered piranha. 
And these were piranhas <laughs> no, that someone felt safe enough to keep w- in a fish restaurant. Lynch- All those fish restaurants that keep carnivorous <laughs> Amazon fish in a giant Listen, tank. yeah. If you're going to go in this one, Zebul, right? Zebul or Zexabel is literally where she is from, Andy. <laughs> she is literally from Exabel. Oh, no. Well, so why did she go into the portal of, oh, and get kidnapped no, to the place where her father has the domain of Exabel? Because well, he's missing. Oh, And Andy. also, the Deg King <laughs> yeah. is, is the first ruler of Atlantis, right? Which from, is from what Atl- I got King on the, the backstory of this character, yeah. You can't have a which go is, at me from anything. This is basically like this backstory is copy and pasted from a website. So no, no, no. I can have a go at you because you're not <laughs> referencing the film that you're actually doing a sequel to. Because Atlan just... is literally rotting with the trident in his hand. If he's in yeah, the ice... Yeah, he rotted ice, away holding if the trident. He's, he's in the ice in the Antarctic. That doesn't make sense. So you just said that he's the first ruler of thingy and he's like, oh, he's the... F- I don't know. I, I, I don't dead... know if that was his dead body. I don't know. I, I mean, I this, thought I mean, it was pretty unambiguously <laughs> his dead body. Well, this this, right. fucking, now, this, this page is wrong then because it was off the DCEU website. So. And now to Drew, right? Drew's is basically, he is the antagonist. I don't know, like, he's basically the villain of no, his own yeah, tragic a, hero. He's a dick and there's a the, difference. The whole, no! It's a hero movie. He sends an army on Earth to find, like, find Black Manta, mm-hmm. not caring about all the innocent people that may die. Well, no, he doesn't send them to attack people. He sends them to barricade it while he goes hunting and hunts down pirates and stuff. And then Mira and Volko, yeah, they're like, just okay with this. They just go along with it. No, I specifically mentioned several times that they tried to talk him down and he ignored them. Yeah, but they just... Then, then, then what do they do? They just sit down? Do they, do they get yeah, involved? Yeah, because he's their king, man. He orders them. He commands mm. his kingdom to do it. And they're all like, oh, fuck. Well, yeah, we better had because he's our king. Yeah, I don't buy that. You, 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 don't, you might not like it, but it, it's, it's consistent with the world of this movie. So France invaded uh, England, right? And they brought all their armies onto our shores. And they were just like, no, we're just looking for someone. Like, why they would not, people would not be cool with that. That's still taking, you're still bringing an army yeah, onto... Yeah, I I, again, I specifically mentioned it causes a massive international incident. Exactly. He stands up and says, hey, I helped save the world. Fuck off and back down. Oh, and they that's all, go, all right then, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, he saved the world, so you know he could just kill Ross, the president Ross, if he any would. any any sign of international hostility between armies doesn't instantly escalate into full scale war. There is a period where people are like, "Hey, hey, get move! Hey, those troops, they don't get them away. Get them back over your border." And then they go, "No, we don't feel like it." And then they go, "Well, no, do it, or we'll shoot you." And then they start escalating. All and I'm during saying... that period of escalation, Black Manta takes over the city and he calls them all away again. All I'm saying is, Matt, like, this is all I'll say, is Drew's is the antagonist, and people Tragic will not hero. like that. <laughs> and and Andy has not thought about any of the actual real-world story of the first film, and also hasn't researched The Dead King. So as, as Ross has so successfully taken down Andy's, I will also point out of all <laughs> the cool things... That could happen, like Aquaman is trying to stop a whale from swimming into a boat's propeller and he can't do it. He has to move the boat. And that's how he discovers that he can't talk to the fish anymore. And no, no, 
He discovers it because he can't tell it to stop shitting in someone's garden. <laughs> hey, that is comedy gold, yeah? That people will love that shit. Literally. <laughs> people will be like, <laughs> I rest so my case. So I love funny. how if Ross can't think of anything, he just goes, Oh, they fight. Fifteen minutes. There's forty five <laughs> to sixty minutes of fighting in your pitch. <laughs> like yeah, how Ross, much is Ross exactly has sequence? Movie? Ross's title sequence comes after a five-minute boat ride, a 15-minute fight, and then it's titles. It's 20 minutes into the movie, and it's like, oh, yeah, Aquaman 2, by the way. It's about a, su- it's a superhero film. Like You want With the majority like a, of it to be a fighting. a Z-list villain. Hey, he's not a Z-list. Hey, exactly. Piranha Man, Jesus. He took... He, yeah. I had to go to page three of Google to find, like, his villain. <laughs> I mean, he did say it, it was like ranked really bad. It was like he's only known for having um, uh, made Aquaman lose his hand. I was like, good, I will pick him. <laughs> then I will pick him. <laughs> so yeah, those are my points, and I, that's why I think you should pick mine. Anyone else got any points to make? I think I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I mean, right, well. if, if I've got betrayed by a, a fucking dodgy DCEU website, I'm gonna be well pissed off. <laughs> okay. Well, there, you go. Uh, <laughs> there may be a lawsuit at the end of this uh, episode coming Wikipedia's way. Just a warning, Wikipedia. Um, well, yeah. I mean, you gave me plenty of time to make my decision. I really enjoy all three. Actually, I enjoy that two of you really put some time and effort into researching the DC universe. I enjoy that uh, Drew, you really went and grasped grasped what was already given to you. Um, and very much carried on a narrative there. I could also give you a list of things that I have wrong with each one. Um, I know I shouldn't, but I am going to. Andy, I'm afraid you have been uh, let down by Wikipedia here. The, it's a uh, DCEU website. The Dead How King, the dead king is Christ. very clearly the one holding the trident with the nutcracker defending it. Um Ross, I thought I did the, think this, but Ross, my big flaw with yours is that I I feel like it's just a little bit light, and you know he still has super trident. There's still a few perks that come with that, and I feel like basically Aquaman is completely weakened and has no strength, considering he's the protagonist in your movie. Uh, Drew, I feel like with yours. Ross kind of touched on a couple of good points um, in terms of where your movie kind of lacks. But that being said, it's, you know, I feel like whilst it's nice that it's the most honest one, it's also lacking somewhat perhaps in wider DCU and wider Aquaman knowledge. However, I did thoroughly enjoy all three pitches. I do want to point that out. Um, And there can only be one winner. And I have decided that this week's winner is going to be Drew Toynbee. Oh, of course. Look, what do you mean, I, honestly, of I lost the last what for me. What a joke. For me, I don't see how. I don't know Aquaman. I don't know Aquaman <laughs> enough. Neither of, you, neither of you sold your wider DCU narratives. One had the wrong research for the. You had good research, Andy, but it was no way in canon with the, the first Aquaman. Oh um, and Ross, you just picked, you know, a Z list bad guy. And 
I don't oh, really yeah. like yeah. the idea that Aquaman spends the whole movie getting his ass kicked. Um, he gets saved by Mira. Like I have nothing wrong with a strong female lead. Clearly, you stepping do. Up Clearly, and saving you do. Him. Oh, but essentially, he gets saved by Mira. He he does nothing to save himself for a whole two hours in your film, Ross. He just gets his ass handed mm-hmm. to him every single time. For me, yeah, so I enjoy the fact that it's a, perhaps a little bit more linear for you guys, but I enjoy and I could see that being the most honest sequel. So, Drew Toynbee, you are this week's winner. Thank you so much. So, winner, what are we watching and where can we find it? So, up next, we have the 2015 Disney Pixar movie, Directed by Pete Doctor, co-directed by Ronnie Del Carmen, Inside Out. Yay! One of my absolute favourites. So I'm really, Great really movie. looking forward to seeing what you guys do with it. Nice, amazing. Well, there you have it, everybody. Uh, Drew is this week's winner. His land is up with Inside Out two sequel pitches next week. Available on Disney Plus uh, any time from now, I'd expect. It's already there. I don't know why I'm still talking. There really is nothing left to do now at this point but to say goodbye. So it's goodbye from Andy. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Ross. Goodbye. It's goodbye from this week's worthy winner, Drew. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please rate and review us if you're listening on Apple or Google Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Sequel Pitch and on Instagram at Sequel Pitch Podcast. Thanks for listening.